Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me for the Mindfulness Movement and Exercise Podcast. This is episode 17. Today, we are going to be talking about fostering curiosity. But before we start, let's do a quick recap of last time. Last time, I had the pleasure and privilege of speaking with Marlo Fiskin, a movement educator, movement teacher. We talked about a variety of things, including teaching, learning, and play. Marlo takes a very playful approach to movement and how she teaches. We discussed Marlo's unique teaching style and how she explores movement. I strongly encourage you to both check her out and go back and listen to the podcast if you haven't already. Before we get into curiosity, try this. Come into a comfortable position and just scan your body. Looking for areas that feel tight or tense or areas that are calling to you. If you find any areas that are drawing your attention, let your attention settle there. As your attention settles on the area, give yourself permission to shift your weight a little bit. Reconnect with your anchors, which would be if you're seated, your feet on the floor or your pelvis on the ground. And then maybe take a moment, if you'd like, to breathe into that area. Just like the breath is getting directed to that spot. And then let that go and continue scanning. Just taking an internal inventory from your head to your toes. Now let your attention settle back on the area that was drawing your attention. And just observe if the words that come to mind when you think about that area have shifted or if they're the same. And go ahead and let that go. That particular practice is a nice segue into what we're talking about today, which is curiosity. Rather than labeling an experience you might be having, you're becoming aware of the experience, observing it, and then seeing what happens when you play with shifting it a little bit. There's a number of ways you can shift attention, so many. I'm not going to go into a whole list because that would bore you. That's not why you're here. But it's just worth noting. Shifting weight, breathing, simply observing. All of these things are ways that can shift your experience of what's happening. On to today. So today, as I said already, I'm talking about curiosity. I just finished the book Unwinding Anxiety by Judson Brewer. Judson Brewer is a psychiatrist and a medical doctor. In it, he devotes an entire chapter to curiosity, which I really appreciated because curiosity is something that I am fascinated by. And to me, it's a big part of mindfulness 
And it's curiosity, which has allowed me to continue developing my movement practice and to continue exploring movement with my clients in a lot of different ways. Some of my clients have been with me for 20 years. How in the world do you keep exercise and movement interesting for that long? It requires a sense of curiosity from the lens of the practitioner, in addition to the lens of the client. According to psychologists and researchers, psychology, er, bah, curiosity comes in two different flavors, I-curiosity and D-curiosity. I-curiosity is interest-driven curiosity. This is the quest for knowledge, the desire to understand, and the enjoyment that comes from the process of learning. D-curiosity is deprivation curiosity. This is the feeling that you have a lack of information, like a scratch that you can't quite itch. It's a need-to-know curiosity, and it can lead to feeling restless or unpleasant, unlike interest curiosity, which tends to feel very pleasant, and it creates an internal motivation to continue seeking the knowledge. Deprivation curiosity, you don't feel satisfied until you gain that missing piece of information. This is the type of curiosity that arises when your phone goes off in a movie theater and you can't look to see who the text is from. Or if you're stuck on a two-lane freeway in a mountain <laughs> and traffic is stopped for no obvious reason and you don't know how long you're going to be there. The D portion of the curiosity is wanting to know why you're stopped. This happened to me recently, so this is a thing. Being able to observe which type of curiosity you're experiencing in the moment can be really helpful, particularly for things like movement and exercise. I'll have an example in a moment, but just kind of let that there so you can think about that for a moment. Curiosity is related to rewards-based learning. This is why researchers hypothesize we evolved to be curious, why we even have this innate curiosity. Research has been done with primates where <laughs> they will be given information at the expense of food and water. They'll take the information rather than the food or water, which is really interesting. So it's deep within us, and it's happening at this chemical level. So the way rewards-based learning works is when you are intensely curious about something, at the peak of that curiosity, you go down the Google rabbit hole to find out as much information as the topic about the topic as you can, and you stumble upon something that delights and excites you. When that happens, your system is flooded with dopamine, which is one of the feel-good hormones. This triggers the hippocampus. The hippocampus conveniently is the part of the brain, one of the parts of the brain that's associated with learning. So the reward of learning something new makes you feel all warm and fuzzy. And if you think back to some of our other talks, some of the other 
podcasts I've done when I've talked about the different parts of mindfulness and learning. How, when you learn, different networks of the brain are activated. Your attention is focused. So maybe one of the reasons we have this network in our brain that allows us to focus is so that we can get to this reward-based thing. Maybe. I don't know. It's just a thought. Let's look at a movement example. As some of you may or may not know, I like to do handstands. I've been doing handstands off and on for the last, oh my goodness, 14 years. I didn't actually start training them in a way that was consistent until about 10 years ago. Maybe more like eight, maybe let's say eight years ago. But prior to that, I would go through phases where I would play with handstands. And I remember so clearly the very first time I held a handstand in the middle of the room. It was not long, but I kicked up, I held it maybe for a second, maybe for two seconds, and then I fell out of it. That was extremely rewarding. And it led me to this quest for wanting to be able to do it again. Interestingly, subsequent handstands, while they are still rewarding, they weren't quite as reward, they haven't quite been as rewarding as that very first one. They aren't as memorable. I even remember what I was wearing when I did that first one. I was 29 years old. Well, may, let's say maybe I, maybe I was 30 or 31, but I'm 43 now to put this into context. It meant that much to me to be able to do that. And this is that curiosity. The curiosity was, what would it be like to do a handstand? And so I worked on it. I didn't have good tools to work on it, but I worked on it in the way that I knew how. As I've learned more, as I've practiced more, as I've studied with more people, I've gained all kinds of tools to work on handstand, which makes the act of working on handstand a lot more enjoyable. So we could say that initially my handstand was a de-curiosity. It was a deprivation curiosity. I really wanted to know. I wanted to scratch an itch. I wanted to understand. But then the process became so much more interesting. And it's the part that I enjoy every morning when I work on handstands. I work on handstands about five days a week. This brings me to the Goldilocks rule. The Goldilocks rule says that in order to actually have curiosity, you need some uncertainty. If you have too little uncertainty, meaning you can predict what's going to happen, then it's not interesting enough to provoke a sense of curiosity. If you're reading a passage that you've read a thousand times and you have it memorized, you know what's coming. You're no longer curious about the words. You could be curious about the 
about other elements of the words. You could be curious about how the words sound together, different ways you can play with the rhythm of the words. You can find other things in there to be curious about, but you're not curious anymore about the content. You know the content, you know what's coming. If you have too much uncertainty, it provokes anxiety. The unknown is scary. We all know this. So if we put this into the context of handstands, one of the things that was necessary for me to even begin practicing kicking up in the middle of the room, like I did on that fateful day, was I had to have an exit strategy. If I didn't know how I was going to fall, it would be way too scary for me to commit to transferring weight to my hands. My exit strategy back then wasn't one that I liked. It didn't feel good. I would fall into a backbend. I didn't know any other way. So I knew what was coming, but I didn't necessarily enjoy it. My exit strategy now is much more comfortable. I cartwheel out of it. It's no big deal. So I have the knowledge that if I don't stick my handstand, I can easily get out of it in a way that feels it's totally fine. And because I'm not such a great hand balancer that I stick my handstands every single time, I stick them a lot of the time, but I don't stick them every single time. There's still this element of uncertainty. This allows me to keep exploring handstands and to stay curious. I'm in the Goldilocks zone. Additionally, there are so many other ways I can play with entering the handstand. I don't have to do it in a traditional facing forward and kicking up. I can try staggering my hands. I can try rotating a little bit. I can try all of these different things. This increases my uncertainty a little bit but not so much that it's anxiety producing. Now, if we flip this to a skill that I don't do well, or I can't do it all more accurately, which let's say, let's say I'm trying to learn a back, a back tuck somersault thing in the air. This is not something I can do. This would be petrifying to me. I know this because I've learned how to do flips in both silks and pull. And the first time I do them, I am so scared. My anxiety is high because I have no idea what's coming. Goldilocks rule. So I share all this with the hopes that as you move through your week, as you explore whatever it is that you're exploring, whether you're exploring movement or learning how to knit or something else that you can step back for a moment and observe your curiosity. What kind is it? How can you foster it to become interest-driven curiosity? How does that feel different to you than deprivation-based curiosity? Thank you so much for joining me. And just a quick note, some of you might know I am teaching at the Biomechanics Movement Summit, which is in Las Vegas, January 12th 
through 13th, I will be discussing concepts related to mindfulness and coaching and skill acquisition and learning. So if those are areas that interest you and you want to travel to Las Vegas, feel free to check me out. Otherwise, I look forward to catching you in the next episode. Thank you.